Alrighty, PRSA, PRSSA members, welcome to episode number 10. This is your National Vice President of External Affairs, Roseanne Brees. Joining us today is Natalie Astore, a lecturer at the University of Florida, where she teaches public relations, writing, and social media management. Natalie worked as head of social media and supervisor at Burlington, where she led results-driven direct Hispanic campaigns for national clients such as McDonald's, Dell Prudential, and United Healthcare. Natalie also graduated from the University of Florida with a Bachelor of Science in Public Relations and a minor in Communication Studies. As a student, she was the Managing Director of Alpha Productions, and she now serves as the student-run firm's faculty advisor. Hi, Natalie. How are you? Hi, Rosa. I'm doing well. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to speak to PRSSA today. Yes, and I thought it would be super amazing to have you um, with your work at Bowdoin in respect to Hispanic Heritage Month. So I'm really excited to share this uh, with all the members and to give them a little bit of insight of what you've done. Um, so let me just roll into the first question. Um, can you tell me a little bit about your experience at Bowdoin and what was the most valuable thing you walked away with? Yeah, absolutely. So I started at Bowdoin actually as an intern once I graduated, or sorry, started as an intern as a student at the University of Florida. And once I graduated, I took on a full-time job at Bowdoin and was there for about five years before transitioning to the University of Florida in this lecturer role. And my experiences at Bowdoin taught me the power of culture. And I feel that power every day. And today, it's a business imperative. Brands have to continue to grow and cater to the changing realities of today's America. And as a Latina myself, I feel very much connected to that. Um, it is the reason why I decided to work in U.S. Hispanic communications. I wanted to help brands connect with people like me and like my abuelita and my uh, mom and dad as well. And, and I can definitely relate to that on a certain level as well as a Latina. Um, speaking of that, I mean, as, as PRSSA's National Vice President of External Affairs, you know, a lot of my work does do with, you know, representation, diversity, and inclusion. Um, so I do want to know, what is your definition of diversity and inclusion? What does it mean to you, and what do you think the difference between the two is? So I'll give you a quick example. To me, diversity and inclusion means that we not only have a seat at the table, but that we feel empowered to speak up. And I know there's an analogy that puts that in terms of a party, right? Not just getting <laughs> invited to the party, but... Um, you know, being given the, the iPod so you can turn up the music that you like and, and being able to dance there, right? So, you know, from the business perspective, having a seat at the table is just a start, right? It means that we have that representation, but knowing that our voices are heard and that they're valued matters most because we could be sitting at that table but not feel like we have the okay or we may not feel empowered to speak our opinions and to say, hey, you know what, this might not work for Hispanic communities, or this might not work for Native American communities, but if we are empowered to speak up and to say something, then that matters. That is inclusion. I, I agree with that 100%. I think a lot of organizations and companies right now focus heavily on the diversity aspect and fail to include the inclusion aspect of that. And so a lot of the questions that I'm hearing now is, what if we led with inclusion instead of diversity? What if we started with that instead of diversity? Because diversity is having those people there. But if we don't empower them and make them feel welcome, then um, we really haven't accomplished the full mission. Um, so mm -hmm. will you share maybe a setback that you have faced in pursuing diversity and inclusion efforts and, and maybe a success that you had? 
Sure. So I'll talk about this a bit more generally. I think we talk a lot about diversity and inclusion, but often we don't walk the walk. And that needs to change, and it's groups like um, the PRSA Foundation that are leading the charge. When we begin to make to take that measurable action, right, when we begin to do and to measure the results of our work, then we can inspire others to do the same. Personally, for a success, I think any time that I can own a space that's not that's otherwise not considered for people like me, uh, whether that's a boardroom or in the classroom, I feel like I'm doing something right by owning that space. It might not be the most comfortable thing to do at first, um, but if I can challenge the norm and make it easier for those who are coming after me, then that's well worth it, right? I, I'm willing to feel uncomfortable and to try to break down some of those barriers um, so that those who come after me have it easier. They can fight a different fight, which, you know, I'm sure for diversity and inclusion, it's going to be a long time uh, coming. Um, but if we can each, you know, put our granito arena, right, our little grain of, of sand, um, then we can make that difference. And, and I agree with that 100%. Um, something that I've learned as a young professional is that incremental change is the most important when it comes to diversity and inclusion efforts. You know, the climate of diversity and inclusion can be so different in Texas versus how it is in Florida. You know, I spent mm -hmm. my summer in Florida and realized that diversity and inclusion already exists, so it's not a topic of conversation. It's not, there's no need to have workshops on it versus Texas where you have um, this really hot topic that needs to be addressed and talked about and implemented in every state. Um, so, so I appreciate that perspective. Um, mm -hmm. Even in your and no matter. Go ahead, Rosa. I was going to say, no matter where you are, you know, whether you're from Miami or Houston, Texas, or, you know, the Bronx and New York, it is so important that we have these conversations and that we not only have the conversations, but that we do something about it. So, you know, I'll tell you that coming from Miami and being Miami born and raised, sometimes you know, I didn't really realize how uh, diverse <laughs> I was until <laughs> I came to Gainesville and came to the University of Florida, right? And so, you know, sometimes we do have to own it and we have to realize um, how our environment has shaped our thinking and, and our realities. And when we move away from that reality, make sure that um, we're driving change if need be. 100%. Um, I do know that when I spend my time in Miami, it was a lot of, you know, English versus Spanish type of communication. I come from Texas, so I'm going to, to an area that's dominated with Spanish. Um, so could you please tell us a little bit about um, how it was communicating in two different languages? What are some of those barriers, maybe personal examples that you have that led to your profession that you were able to apply them to? Yeah, absolutely. So I actually grew up speaking both languages. My first language was Spanish, but day to day now, I'm English dominant. So I speak English much more fluently and naturally than I do Spanish, but I could still read, write, and speak um, Spanish. The key with language, though, is that communicating to and with Latinos is about more than language. It's about understanding the nuances of culture. And I think that's true regardless of the culture and regardless of the language, right? I watched Sao Gigante growing up with my abuelas, <laughs> but my day-to-day my -to today is in English. So, sure, you can reach me with an English language TV spot or billboard or comms PR campaign. You can do so with a Spanish language one too, right? Because I understand the language and I feel it. But you'll truly reach my heart and my wallet with a campaign that resonates with my bicultural identity because that is what's unique to me and unique to so many Latinos 
here in the States today. So I really, I, I, I challenge us to think beyond language, beyond the English, beyond the Spanish, beyond the Spanglish. Uh, what are those truths that tie us as a culture? Wow, that is a really great, great thought that I haven't really considered. Um, and and that's, that's the beauty of this um, diversity inclusion is just getting that diversity of thought and really considering um, your focus point, especially with, with different audiences. Um, in terms of diversity efforts, how, what is one way or example that you measure diversity efforts? And where do you get your motivation for diversity and inclusion? Sure. So I'll tackle the measurement piece first, Rosa. And I think it starts with setting measurable objectives first. What do we want to accomplish? Do Is it, you know, wanting a more diverse workforce across all levels? And then we have to understand what that means for our companies, for our clients, for our students. Because just as you asked me earlier, that definition of diversity and inclusion may vary from stakeholder to stakeholder. So I think we need to start by setting those standards and collaborating to bring meaningful change. There's a lot going on, a lot of conversations happening in the industry. How can we unite those forces to bring about that change? And to your point about motivation and where I get that motivation, I, you know, I mentioned to you earlier, I'm Latina too. It's a huge part of my identity. It's who I am. And I feel that it's my responsibility to help pave the way for those who come after me just as so many have done before me, right? Um, I was at a gala for our College of Journalism and Communications 50th anniversary, and one of the people being honored uh, at the gala was actually the first African-American woman to graduate from our college. And I went up and shook her hand because if it hadn't been for people like her, I wouldn't have the opportunity to be where I am today. Oh, wow. I... I Every young professional has been faced with, with that enjoyment and that feeling of reflection and representation and, and completely mm -hmm. agree that it does a lot for even with just one person up there or um, multiple people, even as a first-generation student, um, building that. And I'm first-gen, too. <laughs> <laughs> so I you share the feeling too. the struggle is real with that. Um, building that foundation for other people to continue um, is definitely something that is really less of an inspiration and more of motivation, which is why I chose that word because, you know, a lot of people will question, well, what inspires you to do this? And it's, it's really not inspiration. A lot of the stories aren't pretty. Um, it's just really about, you know, what we value and what is built within us. And I, I think as a first-gen you can understand, too, that, you know, we don't have that someone to lay back on or to depend on, or even in, especially in the industry, um, mm -hmm. a lot of representation. And it's our job to, to build that for future generations in the next wave of communicators. Um, so I did want to ask you one last question. Um, if sure. you could leave the audience with one piece of advice on diversity and inclusion and maybe even a personal piece that you would like to share, um, what would you leave them with? Sure. So I will share a personal story, actually. Um, a few years ago, I was with my younger sister. I have a half-sister who was six at the time, and she was working on a Hispanic Heritage Month project for school. I, I'm sure you recall having to do these projects for <laughs> Hispanic Heritage Month, Black History Month, et cetera, where they you know, either tell you to pick someone who's Hispanic to do a project about or to pick a country. And so for her project, she had to pick a Hispanic country and write about it. 
And I remember I was driving her after school back home, and I asked her, you know, which country she had chosen. And very matter of fact, she goes to me, well, I think I'm going to do the U.S. And so mm-hmm. I sat there in the driver's seat. She was in the back seat, and, you know, I was a bit confused. And I asked her why, and I told her, you know, typically in these projects, we'll write about our countries of heritage. So for us, it would be Cuba, and my grandfather was from Spain. So, you know, typically you go that route. And she looked at me, and she said, I was born in the U.S., and I'm Hispanic. And you were born in the U.S., and you're Hispanic. So why couldn't I do the U.S.? And Rosa, I didn't have an answer for her. Yeah. And that story, to me, is the reality today, right? That's her oh. reality. She's she's 12 now. And that's her generation. That's how she's thinking. We have to get DNI right. It's not a nice to have today. It's a must have. And, and anecdotes like this one with my little sister just, you know, show exactly how important it is for us today. And, and it's constantly evolving, you know, with the industry moving forward. Oh, yeah. And diversity inclusion, we have to stay informed, you know, lifelong learner, that term resonates with us because, you know, we've been faced with certain challenges, you know, in our personal lives with race and gender, et cetera. But as we get older, too, in the industry, it, it becomes more and more an imperative to learn and, and be um, informed about these issues so that when our 12-year-old sister is asking us a question that we may not have the answer to, we are prepared um, for the next time and, and really understand that that point of view is what our future looks like. Absolutely, and, and sometimes wow. it's not just about advocating for people like us, but for everyone, right? So for me, it's not just about creating paths for Latinas and Latinos, though you know, of course, that's what I feel most connected to, but it's about creating that path for everyone, creating those opportunities for everyone. Um, We are an increasingly multicultural America. You know, our Hispanic music is mainstream music. Black culture is mainstream culture. So how do we evolve to understand our consumer and, and really to give opportunities to everyone who is talented enough and works hard enough to want them. Oh, yes, definitely. That, that especially with the election season, you know, here with us, and then the importance of voting and the importance of, of advocating and being active in that area. I think it's important to note that we even have diversion inclusion issues at home, locally, um, within our schools, within mm-hmm. our communities, organizations. Um, it, it starts locally as well. Um, you know, we serve a bigger audience, but if we're not serving our own people um, and the own, you know, diversity and inclusion efforts and issues that we're having personally, um, we can't really make a systematic change or really improve anything if we aren't addressing those now. Agreed. Completely agree. All righty. Well, thank you so much, Natalie, for the talk. That was very insightful. Um, feel free to connect with Natalie at Natalie Asari and with me, Rose Rose, on Twitter with three Ys. Um, be sure to tune in next week for episode number 11. Thank you so much, Natalie. Thank you, Rosa. Thank you, PRSSA. Okay, everybody. Let me just uh, 